Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Hello, welcome to Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. This is the place, of course, you should know the drill by now, where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Mandeep Singh. He's one of the co-founders of Truva, the, quote, anti-chain, anti-same online marketplace for boutique independent retailers. After seeing bricks and mortar independents fall behind due to a lack of understanding of e-commerce, Mandeep and his partner Alex, with backgrounds in retail and tech respectively, created Truva in 2015. Their vision was to create a thriving global community of shops and shoppers passionate for unique products and to ensure an independent future for the high street by providing boutiques with the economies of scale and tech that bigger players in the market have. With British high streets evidently taking a battering, they say bricks and mortar is not going to die. I like their belief. Online is merely changing how people shop offline. Hello, nice to see you. Hello, thank you for having me. In your own words, Truva is... Tell me. Truva is the place to find beautiful products for your home and for yourself from the very best independent shops around the world. So we started in London and we have amazing cool boutiques which sell beautiful products from the likes of Shoreditch, um, but all the way through to Berlin, Paris, Amsterdam. Now, the man from Blackburn... My sources are correct, Mandeep. For my sins, yeah. For your sins. Someone, you know, Blackburn's a lovely place. Natural Sciences and Management Studies at Cambridge. A bit of uh, management consultancy and similar things. Uh, I think you're in private equity as well. How did you arrive at the moment where you said, you know what, I'm going to set my own business up? All right, probably the driest description of my background I could possibly think of, but um, it probably is not a surprise that, uh, why I wanted to leave and go do my own thing. But during my time as an investor and, and as a consultant, I actually spent a lot of time working with a lot of the large retail chains. And that's where I really saw how the impact technology was having on the world of retail, um, which gave us the inspiration behind the idea. And I also met a lot of amazing entrepreneurs who'd gone to set up their own businesses. And... I got frustrated being a consultant and an investor and thought, I just didn't want to wake up one day and think that's what I'd done in my life. I wanted mm. to be one of those people who tried to create their own thing. Uh, and you'd done that a little bit, hadn't you, when you were younger? I think you co-founded a business called Be Seen, exclamation mark. That's a very important thing at the end of Be Seen, isn't <laughs> that's it? That's right. I was, I was 14 when we came I know, but that's, that's pretty cool. So, <laughs> I mean, so it's a web development business, which that's you right. were running alongside school. And I quote here from an interview a few years ago, I learnt much from how to run a business to how to overcome the scepticism of banks and friends and family. Right. Um, Does that set you up very well for running your own <laughs> business as an adult? It probably has, to be fair, because yeah. scepticism is something you always get as, a, as an entrepreneur, whether it's you're uh, you know trying to raise money for the first time or trying to convince people that uh, you're not insane for quitting your, your job and giving up your career to go do something that no one else has managed to get working. But um, it was... I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs or, or business people. Um, it was something I was doing in my bedroom whilst um, trying not to tell people that I was doing it. And it shows to you that you can prove people wrong, to be honest. Um, and that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur. And where did that drive come from, do you think? Why at age 14 did you think, I want to do my own thing? Was it just a bit of pocket money? Or was it something a bit more fundamental than that? I don't think even then, let alone now, you start a business for, for the money. You do it because it's just something that you 
loved doing. And to be honest, I think I'd always done weird things as a kid. I remember like things like setting up a fancy football league when I was like ten and trying to you know get people to sign up for that, and whether it was um, building websites or whether it was selling domain names. And so um, I always just found it really fun and and it was ex- exactly the same um with uh, the much more sophisticated startup i mean nowadays you said it's not about the money and now today here you are sitting on a business which has raised i think it's about 14 million dollars to date and you can correct me on that it might it might be more it might be less um it's a serious business it's complicated technology is important uh, having an aesthetic connection with the people that are selling is important it's quite it's a lot of moving pieces if it isn't the money, what's driving you? What, why did you want to do this thing that you are now doing? I think there's two two answers to that, and the first is what probably drove us to drives any maybe any entrepreneur, but certainly uh, myself and Alex to you know quit our jobs to go start our own business, and and that was the desire to to not just be you know working for a big corporate and not being able to see the fruits of our labour. The way I think about it is that I hope that. However big um, and successful Truva becomes, I look back and think I learned a hell of a lot. I created something, created jobs for people and created a business that I'm proud of and, and did something which got me up uh, out of bed in the morning. Um, and, the, and the second part of that is is really tied to our, to our mission and, and vision. And working with great independent shops, they're actually run by people who have similar ambitions. They're often people who quit their jobs at brands like Burberry or in some cases working in TV or working for big corporates to do their life's mission and live stream, which is to go set up their own business, their own boutique. And what really gets myself and I think a lot of the team out better in the morning is the idea that we are helping open up these boutiques to the world and making sure that they don't just survive but thrive no matter what the future brings. Um, yeah. Uh, and these the people that you've now um, brought into the business are they as passionate as you? Do you make sure they're as passionate as you around this vision, this notion of independent shops selling fabulous things that you know might not be seen if it weren't for the or your site? Yeah, absolutely. It's self-selecting in the first place, but it's something we go out of the way to make sure people resonate with. Otherwise, they shouldn't be in in a business which they don't believe in the in the in the vision and vision and mission of mm. and every single person in the team is making a similar decision to leave a you know potential corporate job to go have some equity in joining a startup and it has to be something they absolutely believe in and working in startups is really tough there's loads of amazing highs but there's some really low lows and without that utter belief in what we're doing and that passion for what the business is doing mm. then um it won't, it won't get you through those low points. Otherwise. And those low points specifically, are they when stuff just goes wrong? Are they when you know a key independent you thought you'd signed up falls away? Are they when the traffic is low? Or is it a combination of all those things, or much bigger than that? It could be. It could be anything. It could be actually things which are significant to the business, or they could be just really small things. So I remember in our early days, we've been fortunate to raise a lot of money, but most investors always say no to every business. And so when you're going out there with your heart and soul and talking to investors, I still remember like just anecdotally one investor, which wasn't particularly important, but um, but I remember leaving that meeting just feeling like I'd been kicked in the face. So you, those were, they, were they just mean, or is it just that they didn't get what you were doing? I mean, what because that's a uh, I hear this a lot, right. and I also hear obviously that you know it's great when someone buys you and buys the buys the business idea and so on and so forth, but. 
what's that about when why did you why did it impact you so much because at the end of the day it's a no right and that's what's hit yeah that's fair um i think most the vast majority of investors even who um say no um you leave that meeting feeling respect for them there are cases where it can feel very personal but i think it's also because you are you're putting your heart and soul into the business and actually it can be very hard to separate the business from yourself. And so therefore it can feel very personal in a way which it never does, even if you're working for someone else. So even if they are saying no for very good reasons, it can feel like they're saying no to you. And mm. um, so it's it's a psychological thing, but it's 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 certainly you know, emotionally like up and down as a consequence. Stay with me from uh, much more from my business shape today. That's Mandeep Singh. He's the co-founder of Truva. He's coming up again in a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some advice for your business. I'm Daniel Farrand. I'm an associate in the planning group at Mishkondorea, part of the wider real estate department. One thing I see quite a lot of in terms of small business is queries about their accommodation. When you're setting up a small business, um, you may need, you may even be starting from home. Now, a home obviously has planning permission to be a, uh, a residential dwelling. Uh, so the planning system doesn't really work very well with mixes of uses or innovative uses. Local authorities tend to be fairly stick in the mud. So sometimes they can take some convincing that business activities from a home are merely ancillary to the residential use of the property, especially if you're starting to bring employees in, if your business is growing. As a result, uh, people starting a new business or developing and growing their business need to think very carefully about the kind of space they want to occupy and the kind of uses they want to undertake. It's always better to work that out in the first place. Try and find a business premises that suits you, or at least to address the issue with the local planning authority. The worst case scenario is an enforcement notice that can even prevent you running your business from your premises because it doesn't fit with the proper planning designation of that building. Uh, we've helped a lot of clients avoid that situation or defend themselves uh, in the unfortunate event that it happens. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme with Mandeep again as well. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or if you pop Jazz Shapers into your preferred podcast platform, you can enjoy the full archive there. But back to today, it's Mandeep Singh, as I said, and he's the co-founder of Truva, the online marketplace for boutique independent retailers. It's got a ring, hasn't it? Um, we, we've been talking about the, the personal feeling and the way that it, it hits you when there's that no. It strikes me that you're very connected to what you do, and, and I can now see the strategic question that you wanted to answer, which is there must be an antidote for independence on the high street. I know what I'm going to do. We're going to create this business and so on. Mm -hmm. I can see that from a cerebral point of view. But the personal thing interests me. When you're dealing with your team, are you super personal as well? Is it just the same Mandeep? Is man, would, would your team say of you, this is a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve? Or is it a bit, is it different to that? It's a difficult question for me to answer. I think um, the team could probably do a better job of answering what it. What might they say if they were here? Um, as the business grows and matures and we're now about 80 people, I think it's probably less likely the team would say that. Um, and in fact, one of the interesting things about being an entrepreneur is that your role is constantly evolving. And so right at the beginning when we were, you know, 
a few guys in a room, um, guys and girls in, in a small room. I'm sure that was the case. But, you know, we now have a great senior team. I have to spend a lot of my time out, um, necessarily, not necessarily, running the business day to day. Um, my co-founders are also doing the same. So I suspect it's a maturity thing as a business that um, the, the, the bigger we get um, and the more people we are, probably the less that's true. But certainly in the early days, as mm. I'm sure it was. Yeah. And then, therefore, in terms of your leadership style now, because you said it's bigger and you've got people doing stuff and all that, are you? You don't strike me as a micromanager. It strikes me that there's new things to grow and build, and you're going to be off developing those things. If that's the case, then how's the? How, how do you? manage to ensure that everyone those seen that senior team does what they need to do it's a really good question and i think one that we're still solving and there's some of the ways that we run our business is that i have co-founders who are running the business alongside me so it certainly doesn't feel that i have to take that entire burden myself but also i think it's a classic entrepreneurial problem that in the early days you are doing everything yourself um alex and i were out signing up the first shops we were doing digital marketing we were building the website and as uh, we mature one of the, the things that we have to learn to do like every entrepreneur has to has to is to let go of those day-to-day things and um i was for example i was in uh, san francisco um, a couple of months ago for the first time out in silicon valley and met a lot of ceos of pretty large amazing um, valley businesses i won't even say startups anymore and i remember asking one of them what the job of a co-founder or CEO is. And um, he articulated it this way, which was, I know I'm doing a great job if I could turn up at 11 o'clock, have a long lunch, and then go home again. Now, of course, no one ever does that. You never do as an entrepreneur. But I understood the sentiment behind it, which was that his job was not to run things day to day. And actually, having a brilliant, amazing team who can run the business day-to-day to free you up to do things which are more strategic, whether it's external mm. or thinking about the future of the business. Um, and I think that's where, where we want to get to as co-founders. Is it where you really want to get to, though? Because there's part of you that must be thinking, do you know what, I'm relentless. If I don't tell and show exactly what I want this business to be, it's four years old. If I'm not fully involved in some form, then actually that's never going to happen. I'm I, just, just looking at you, yeah. I, I feel like that, that you, might, you might like the sound of it and then you go, no, nah, that's not going to happen. I think, I think we know that's what we need to do. Um, it's, it's, it's far easier thing. said than done, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, and, we're, and we're not fully there yet. No. And, and Alex and you, what's the dynamic in terms of what, where do you think his strengths are versus yours and how have you divided up the, the businesses you've gone? So um, Alex and I come from quite different backgrounds. So Alex came, um, uh, was a computer scientist by background and was on the first ever Entrepreneur First cohort in London. So um, certainly he has more of a focus on the product and technical side day to day and myself more on the commercial side. But I think it also comes down to whether it's myself or Alex or the rest of the senior team, we're very different personalities and we come from different backgrounds. And that means that even though we're aligned on where where we're getting to, which is vital, we often articulate things in a different way or see things from a different angle and that makes us much stronger as a, as a, as a leadership team i'm totally convinced by that different personality types are, are crucial stay with me for more from my business show but it's mandeep singh co-founder and ceo at truva time for some more music it's bill lawrence he's brilliant and he's a very nice man too and it's called the pines
That was Bill Lawrence with The Pines. Mandeep Singh's my business shaper and he's co-founder at Truva. Um, you mentioned, Alex, your partner and computer science background and he's kind of focused on the product. There's never been stiffer competition from the online world, in the online world for my attention, for someone else, you know, for customers' attention and for, for doing things easily. How are you ensuring that you're going to have the edge in terms of the experience? I mean, I read somewhere you said something about... You've uh, delivered an item in as little as 22 minutes before. And, of course, the delivery is one bit of it. The interface is the other bit. The is it available? All those things. Not easy when you've got a big disparate business with no sort of singular warehouse. How are you making sure that you remain at the edge of what it is that consumers want? It's a great question. And we're doing some amazing things which we can do because we are working with bricks and mortar shops and bricks and mortar boutiques like really quick delivery, instant click and collect. Um, The fact that these products are coming from a human person who's running a boutique um, and some of the great experiences I've had when buying from Truva when I've had a handwritten note from the boutique owners for example but f- I think actually the, the bigger question is is fundamentally that we're trying to challenge what people think about when they think about online shopping online shopping has been around for 24 years now, it's Amazon's 24th or 25th anniversary this year and up to now everyone has taken the same approach as Amazon which is Let's just lump a bunch of stuff in a warehouse. You know, it's all about price and it's all about, and therefore they're competing purely in convenience. But most shopping is not actually about price and convenience. Maybe when I buy a HDMI cable, it's all all about, I don't really care about the product or the story or where it comes from. But that's very, very different when you're buying something for your home, uh, a piece which really means something to you. And and it's emotional shopping. And that's actually what offline retailers and, and boutiques are so amazing at. They're going out around the world to handpick and curate the very best products from the very best independent brands, putting them in the physical space, which is it's like going into an art gallery. And so it, it's shopping as an experience. It's shopping for fun. So purely trying to remove friction from the shopping journey is fine for some categories. Mm. But actually, the things that boutiques sell, it's actually not so much about um, purely about convenience. It's about discovering something beautiful that you never knew you'd wanted until you saw it for the first time and it's that capturing that emotion and the uh, thrill of discovering the perfect thing for your home or for yourself that boutiques are fantastic at and that's what no one has really cracked in the online world um, and so we're actually fundamentally challenging the way people do e-commerce by saying well it's not just about cheap stuff coming from a warehouse this is about beautiful items coming directly from these amazing bricks and mortar independents you don't have to answer this question honestly but i'm going to ask it anyway do you actually like shopping and do you like online shopping? Good question. Um, Only because, you know, you, know it's, it, you talk about passion, and my sense is, again, you're passionate about solving the problem, and that problem is about lovely individual things, but also reconnecting people emotionally, and it's not doing the, mm-hmm. what is it called, sell them cheap, stack them high thing, um, which you just described. But at heart, are you the kind of person that would go out and want to find that incredible rug or that beautiful top or... So I've absolutely had that experience, and but, but really crucially, I think we all have. It's not necessarily that it's X set of people buy everything for emotionally and Y mm. set of people buy everything commoditized. I do both those journeys, and when I have bought, for example, you know, a um, what's the last thing? I think piece of commoditized items I bought was 
actually a, a laptop charger then in that mode when i'm buying a laptop charger i'm i'm not you know i'm not looking for the journey and the experience and something beautiful right <laughs> unless you were strange <laughs> yes exactly I mean, we can, very yeah. unusual person who would do that and we all are <laughs> right but then we've all bought a piece of clothing or something for mm. our home or a gift for a loved one where actually we're the emotional shopper so yes i absolutely am but i think that we all are it's just that this type of experience really matters for some types of products and the kind of things which have moved online very quickly um like books and electronics for example it rarely is the case so we're really going after products like homewares lifestyle gift fashion accessories which are actually still very low at e-commerce penetrated only like 15 percent in the uk and much less across the rest of the world where um that emotional experience desire is, is really strong Stay with me for my final chat with Mandeep and you'll be hearing a track from Mr Ray Charles. That's up in just a moment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Ray Charles with Hit the Road, Jack, one of my personal favourites. I love that. I'm with Mandy Singh just for a few more minutes. And you talked about emotion experiences um, in the shopping context and you talk about understanding when certain purchases are that and obviously buying your your laptop charger is is not that. As you look forward to the next few years and you're four years in and in a blink of an eye it'll be eight years – what are you trying to do with the business overall? What's the shape of scaling up this sense of emotional experience? What does it look like? Does it require another round of funding? Does it require loads more people? What is it do you think that will be? What are the key levers for your growth? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the great things about being a technology platform as we are is that it's really scalable. And that means that we can go find shops in different countries and get them on the platform. But crucially for us, what, what really excites us is the idea of being able to shop amazing independents who it'd be virtually impossible for you to find otherwise maybe they're in hidden in in, um, the back streets of towns and cities on the other side of the world so where we'd like Triva to get to is a global network of the very best independent shops no matter whether it's Paris, Berlin, London or maybe New York or Tokyo and you as a customer from the comfort of your home can go browse and discover that beautiful piece which is on the back street of Shiboyu in Tokyo and maybe get it delivered to you in your local shop and pick it up there for example that idea of a global network of the very best independents united in one community but that you as a customer can then um, shop across that entire community in one place that's what really excites us and that's going to take a bit of time I guess that's you then reaching out literally into those different countries and different cities and physically having to know your stuff Right. It's a you know, marathon, not a sprint, building a really yeah. big business. And we're, we're very fortunate to have had investors who really believe in building that huge vision. And that's, um, that's for us, is what gets us out of bed in the morning. And issues like sustain, uh, sustainable fashion and you know, recyclable fashion and things like that, and people talking all about supply chains and uh, modern slavery acts and things like that, how do you ensure that that is also... I mean, is it built into your thinking as you go? Because you're in a... It's a very artisan end of the of the market, so I imagine you have more control than big brands which use big big factories. Right, and that trend and that, that desire for people caring about provenance resonates really well with our customers and, and our boutiques. And we have 
for example, um, boutique owner, we have a boutique owner in Berlin um, who runs a fair trade fashion boutique where she's been really passionate about finding brands for example, that make trainers out of recycled plastic bottles. And so that combined with the, this desire for actually having a piece that you're going to keep, that you're really passionate about, and it's, it's it's the complete antithesis of fast fashion, which is cheap and you don't really care, it might not last, and it goes you throw it away at the end of the season. That's the complete opposite to the types of products you can find on Truva. So it, I think those those trends resonate really strongly with our customer base and on balance i'm imagining it's a huge thumbs up to not being in a career job and actually running your own thing right yeah i mean i uh best thing you ever did best thing i uh, best thing I ever did other than probably get married so um we can put those two in the same close in the same bucket but absolutely the right thing for me mm. it's it's not the right thing for everyone and it's uh you know, it's a tough journey but it's something that you learn so much from and i wouldn't change it for the world Mandeep, it's been a real pleasure meeting you and and listening to you. Good luck with your journey. It seems like it's going the right way, and I really hope it continues to do so. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Uh, So my song choice is um, a soul track, uh, Stevie Wonder, as. It was actually chosen by my wife and I as the first dance at our wedding. That was Stevie Wonder with As, the song choice of my business shaper today, Mandeep Singh. He and his partner's vision to transform the way that independent retailers could reach people online was the thing that took him from his career into actually becoming an entrepreneur. He's now surrounded himself with like-minded people who also want the same thing, not just in his business, but around the world. And really importantly, trying to create an emotional connection with people and saying that actually, even online, you can do that. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.